اعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, dear listeners, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be with you all. Dear listeners, welcome back. You're listening to Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting from the biggest mosque of Europe, the Battle of Two Mosque. And you just turned in for another episode of The Breakfast Show. My name is Shahab Ahmed. The time is... Five past seven, and I'm joined here with my friend and co-host Asim Hashmi. Asim, I—it's w- actually you know very polite to ask you how you're doing, but from your voice I could sense something that you are between of good and bad. Assalamualaikum. By the grace of Allah, I'm good. Oh, okay. okay. You and how are you? Yeah, I'm actually good as well. Um, you might see some like um change in my voice as well. So what happened is the listeners uh. I was told about clear uh, about the storm coming towards us and um I was also kind of prepared. It's not like I, I just don't prepare myself. Um but the Kiara when she came the storm Kiara I was outside and I thought like you know I was working yesterday and um I had, uh, was bringing my son to the uh, reception and I was coming back. Uh, I was doing some other stuff and I was walking because I don't use my car for these things. And suddenly it started raining and I was outside. Luckily I was wearing a hat but otherwise I was wet. My clothes were wet. So yeah, I think that's why I have this voice now. I'm getting, I'm feeling that um, I need to take some medicine and precautions as well. Dear listeners, you should do the same because it is raining right now here in uh, London and um be as, as i said the yellow warning is out and um awesome because i thought you are like ill um from your voice for us sense but you're doing very well then. but for our listeners could you tell, tell us the forecast of today and the next days absolutely i can and uh, the headlines say heavy rain and very strong winds as storm as siaran arrives A very unsettled Thursday with outbreaks of heavy rain and strong winds throughout several gales possible along exposed uh, coastal regions with a risk of storm force winds for time. Maximum temperature is 12 degrees. Uh, tonight, strong winds and pulses of heavy rain continuing into the evening. Winds beginning to ease slightly through the small hours of Friday morning. Minimum temperature 7 degrees. So it is going to rain quite a bit and a lot of strong winds. <coughs> Sorry for that. Wait, you know, um, talking the the, the, the reason I, I was actually um, telling you that uh, make sure that you are prepared and you are you, the closings matching the weather as well is because, Asim, you know that as well that um, about health, Islam is basically honored the health of a human being. And Islam has also told us, or let's say God has told us, explained us that it is our duty that we take care of our health as well, especially of our body. Now, um, the Holy Prophet says, man, wealth is appropriate to a God-fearing person, but good health is better for the God-fearing than wealth. Uh, and um, you know what? Um, dear listen, I just make it very simple. The The, the body... Everything, the organs, everything we need for life was given to, by Allah to us. 
and uh, um, it's like a trust, you know. Allah just wants to see how we are looking after our body, and in the end, Allah will ask us about this trust as well. That did we make sure that we took care of the gift given by Allah as well or not? So that's why um, Islam encourages you to uh, make sure that you stay healthy as well. Um, Asim, we have unfortunately still like the Hamas and Israel war. Um, Absolutely, there, there yeah, is no. Good news as well. Before we come to Boris Johnson, because Boris Johnson was has been like people have seen in in the media as well. Uh, but before we come to that, the listeners, most of the papers this Thursday focus on the reopening of the Rafah border crossing, which allowed civilians, including some British nationals, to cross from Gaza to Egypt. So the Daily Mirror's headline is "Escape from Hell." Under the picture of a, uh, you can see a picture of a tearful Palestinian boy being taken to Egypt for medical treatment. The Times says the foreign officer refused to confirm how many Britons were allowed to leave, but it says diplomats accept around 7,500 foreign passport holders to cross into Egypt in the next two days. The Daily Telegraph says many British citizens were turned away from the crossing because their names were not on the list of those approved to leave. Paper attributes delays and confusion to the fact that Israeli intelligence is vetting all foreign nationals for link with terrorism before allowing their names to be included on the release list. Now, according to the I, people learned that there was a list of those allowed to leave only after arriving at the crossing. The paper says it's seen a list with only two British citizens on it. One of them was a 67-year-old years old. Transplant surgeon from Liverpool, Abdul Hamad, was still turned away because by the time he arrived at the gate, the crossing was closed again. Bringing them home is the Sun's front page headline, dear listeners, surrounded by pictures of 32 children taken hostage by Hamas on the 7th of October. The paper says the youngsters are being held underground in Hamas networks of tunnel in Gaza. You know, this is what I never understood, you know. Um, since we have this tension, even before that, we have seen from both sides now that children has been taken hostages, right? And Israeli um, are taking children, Palestinian children, the age of four, right? This is the youngest children who's in the prison, yeah, yeah. In Israeli prison four. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand. Now I don't understand what terrorists Hamas for they did. Why did they take them? For what reason did they take children? As um, because. I don't think I don't think that a four years child could be a terrorist. So this is something you know. This makes me very sad that in these scenarios we see, we just forgot what humanity basically is and what humanity basically tells us. Um, I was reading recently a tweet on Twitter. No, it's called X. Um, someone was tweeting that um, we're living in a twisted world. Yes, and it's like, and then he said, like, all hope is gone. And Asim, you know, I remember that Islam is, is is a religion who tells you not to lose hope in humanity. In fact, you know, the word which is used for humanity in Arabic is an insan, which comes from Anasim, which means love, that Allah has put love in us as well, that we should be able to love and to live together with other people in harmony. And 
the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, has also encouraged us that we should take care after him, Allah Ta'ala's creation as well, which makes us the beacon of hope for other people then. If other people can't do it, then it's our turn to show the difference then. Now, um, blaming a nation or blaming uh, the nation, or the, it's also wrong. You're part of the nation as well. No, no nation is perfect. You have to make the nation perfect, right? That's what we were told. And this is what Islam is telling us as well. Um, a warning from the billionaire tech entrepreneur Elon Musk that artificial intelligence poses one of the biggest threats to humanity is highlighted by the Daily Mail dealers. No? The paper says, this contrast with the comment by a senior executive at Meta, Sir Nick Clegg, who argued that the risk of artificial intelligence are overstated. An editorial in the Telegraph says Sir Nick's comments are not surprising given his post-political career. And there's been a lot of special pleading by technology companies at the conference of on safety of artificial intelligence. But paper also asks whether there is an overreaction to the rapid evolution of AI and questions if there's a risk that it will be regulated to the point of ineffectiveness. In one of its editorials, the Times says, the COVID inquiry has shown that Britain is badly served by a system which it says promotes slippery mergers into positions demanding integrity, professionalism and expertise. The paper says that when the epidemic struck, the close advisor to the Prime Minister were people whose claim to power was based purely on the success in managing campaigns, while the civil service was distracted by Brexit and a radical shake-up promised by the by the then Downing Street Chief of Staff, Dominic Cummings. Now, talking about Dominic Cummings, I ask him, what is the first person that comes to your mind when I say Dominic Cummings? Um, I don't want to mention that name. Oh, come on, <laughs> come on. He was he was the leader of this nation. Dear listeners, we're talking about, of course, about Boris. Boris Johnson. Um... The Daily Star reports a claim by Dominic Cummings that Boris Johnson once asked government scientists whether people could kill COVID by blowing a special hairdryer up their nose. Now, Mr. Cummings said the former Prime Minister shared a video of a man using such a device with his top advisor Sir Patrick Valence and Sir Chris Whitty. Any, any, any comments on that? Answer? No comments. I think uh, we leave this today. We just leave him here, yes? Boris, whatever you want to do, carry on. Um... No, don't carry on. Um, Asim, uh, I I believe th- there is something you want to report as well. Absolutely. Um, we do have some um, major incidents declared and schools closed as storm as Yaron hits. So storm Yaron has hit the British Isles and Channel Island with f- forecasters warning lives could be at risk. Strong winds and heavy rain are barreling across uh, south, southern England with gusts of more than 110 miles per hour, which is 160 kilometers per hour, already recorded in France and the Channel Islands overnight. Uh, major incidents are declared in Hampshire, the Isle of Wight and Jersey with hundreds of schools shot across southern England. People in Jersey have been evacuated as hotels after wind damaged their homes and train lines have... Train lines 
uh, also have uh, been ground to hold with some operator telling commuters to work from home and drivers in the south and west of UK have been told to avoid coastal roads. A yellow and amber weather warning indicating a potential risk to life and property are in Wales covering are in place covering part of England, Scotland and Wales. So uh, let's uh, hope and pray that uh, everyone is safe uh, from this storm. Indeed, Asim. Um, as I said, uh, it is something, you know, um, Islam has told us many, many times that we should look, should care, care of our health as well. We should look after our body as well. Um, therefore, dear listeners, make sure that um, you stay healthy as well. Um, Asim, you know, I just want to mention one thing before we come to the sports. Matthew Perry, you know him, right? Yes, absolutely. The friend's actor who just died uh, last week on in the weekend on weekends, yes, um, alone. And uh, suddenly, you know, um, someone he told me that um, he had a discussion with his wife that being so rich. Why did he suffer when he had everything he needed in his life? Now, I want to focus this on, on the voice of Islam radio as well, from the Islamic perspective. This is very important that we should focus on that. Um, we had a lot of people uh, here in the Western society who committed suicide. I don't say that he committed suicide. Whatever happened, um, it's very unfortunate. Um, but a lot of people, yes, who are rich, they're taking sleeping pills or they can sleep without tensions now we have we compare like uh, these uh, three world countries and to these countries in the western uh, uh, society we see the people in the western society they have mainly more things right um, than these people in the poorer countries they have maybe two cars two houses a lot of money yeah still as i said they um, the suicide rate here is very high which means that money well, all these worldly desires are totally not enough. Now, what is the difference between the people living in the West and the people living in the East? And I've looked into that many, many times, and, you know, I wanted to know why are those people living in the East so so happy? Even though, as I said, they have less things to live, but if you go to these places, you see they are smiling, they're happy. They are basically, the way they're living is enough for them. And the reason is that I've seen the people living in the East are more spiritual, are more religious, and they have a firm belief in God. And it is said in the Holy Quran, God has said about himself that Allah bizikrillahi that ma'inul kulub, that with the remembrance of Allah, heart can find comfort. And uh, this reminds me uh, on the speech the second caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community gave, an, an address he gave once. And he said that there are many, many people writing letter to me. Some are writing that, uh, oh, please pray that um, that uh, Allah grants us with children. Or that someone's writing me that to pray that he get a certain job. Or that he, someone's writing him that he, to pray for him that he um, passes the exams, etc. Right? For, for certain things. Then Azuz said, uh, the Caliph said, there are very less people who write to me, or oh, please pray that I have a connection, a real connection to Allah, the Almighty. And listeners, this is very important. 
And I want to know for you, what do you think is very, uh, like, I'm going to mention it from uh, the address of the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, but I want to know from you what experience that you made when you are asked for some uh, from Allah something and how he helped you through difficulties. You can call in the number is 0208-687-878 or you can go on our social advice now you can ask him. Now, the reason he said that people should write to me and should uh, I should pray for them that they should be close to Allah is because if you have Allah, you have a friend. You have someone who is there for you in very difficult times as well. And he can provide you everything you need. So you have someone who can comfort you as well. Which means that money and all these worldly things are not enough. You need something different. And that different person is Allah, or a different being is Allah. And that's why these people in the East are much more happier because they have this. They have understood this point. You know, as the saying of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that a rich person, rich person will have um, a filled belly. Yes, his belly will be filled with food, <coughs> but he will still be not, uh, he will still starving. Okay. And then a poor person, his belly will will be not filled with food. It will be very empty, but he won't starving. Okay, now this means that a person, you know, with food, obviously all these worldly desires are meant, okay? With food, all these worldly desires, he tries to get more and more and more about his worldly desires, but he won't be enough, it won't be enough for him, and he won't be satisfied. But a person who has nothing, right, no worldly, no money, he's still happy because he has Allah. And I think this is the most important thing that we need to understand, that it's the spiritual life. You know, for a spiritual person... Remembering Allah is like f catching ear or take uh, like uh, having ear in, in the lungs. Uh, we know that without the ear we can't live. And for a spiritual person without remembering of Allah, he can't be alive spiritually. Absolutely. I mean, so you correctly said. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, if we look at um, uh, even wealthy people who are very spiritual as well, uh, we, we have... Um, from the Holy Prophet, um, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him's time, very wealthy people, um, and but when they were asked to uh, give in the way of Allah, you can see examples of Hazrat Abu Bakr and Hazrat Umar, who gave a uh, full uh, of their wealth and half of uh, their wealth. Um, so uh, I mean, mostly people, um, if if they are spiritual and have a, a connection with God, and God has given um, wealth to them. They are very generous as well. So it's very important to be very generous to to the people of God as well. If you are given the wealth and you are very spiritual, indeed. I mean, I mean, if you talk about these people, you know, the third caliph of Islam, Hazrat Usman, of course, when they migrated, they migrated empty-handed to Medina. But it is sad that he was very well. Given. He would give. He was very generous. Yes, uh, and it is sad that if he would live here in this day and age, he would be a billionaire. Uh, but this kind of billionaire, he wouldn't he wouldn't just keep the money for himself, but he would share it with everyone. Absolutely, yeah. So, dear listener, this is just uh, I thought would be beneficial for you to know as well. If you want to be a part of the show, and if you want to let us know. 
your experience how Allah has accepted your prayers then you can call in any time the number is 0208-687-787 or you can go on our social at Voice of Islam UK um, please let me know your answer awesome. um, sports yes absolutely so we had the EFL Cup around f- f- the fourth round yesterday we had some interesting matches uh, I'm talking about football at the moment and we had uh, quite good matches actually yesterday we had West Ham United versus Arsenal West Ham did beat Arsenal 3-1 and we had Bournemouth um, Liverpool Liverpool 1-2-1 uh, Chelsea Blackburn Rovers uh, Chelsea 1-2-0 Everton Burnley um, easy win for Everton 3-0 uh, Fulham it's Ipswich it's Town uh, Fulham 1-3-1 and Manchester United versus Newcastle United and uh, Newcastle actually won 3 nil. Um so we did have some upsets in this round um, especially for Man U and Arsenal. Um so let's see what the next round um takes us to. And we we did have some crickets as well uh, as you probably all aware that um we are having the um, ICC men's one day world cup. Uh, yesterday we had a match between South Africa and New Zealand and actually surprisingly in South Africa scored 357 runs and New Zealand was all out on 167 so that mm. means that uh, South Africa is, has taken the first spot and New Zealand has dropped to the fourth um, spot and um, at the moment, the table says that the South Africa with 12 points, India with 12 points, Australia with 8 points, New Zealand with 8 points, and then we've got Pakistan and Afghanistan at 6 points, who are still trying to claim the fourth spot. And what about England? England, sadly, um, are last with only 2 points. Oh really? I mean, this is surprising that um he they are still defending champions. Absolutely. Do they have chances to reach the next round? No chances at all. All right, that's very sad. Um, well, dear listeners, um, also one very important news in football is that Bayern Munich was not out yesterday in their cup game against Saarbrücken, which is a team from third league. Neuer made his first game after major injury, no, second game after major injury, and they were still defeated 2 1 by a third league team who might be relegated this season. And you know, um, Asim, now, dear listener, we will go for a short break, but before Asim, if we do so, can you introduce us, um, our li- listeners for the segments which we have, which we start Absolutely. after. So we've got two segments today. The first one is that UN criticizes France ban on its Olympic athletes wearing headscarves. And the second segment is how would we know whether there is life on Earth? So the listeners, headscarf, hijab, it's a very discussed topic here in the West as well. And uh, I just want to let you know that our producing team, all of them are female. Wearing headscarf as well, and somehow it never stopped them to be so, um, like, to, to make this show so very successful. But I want to know from you, all those who are wearing the headscarf, what is the thought about that? Did it ever stop you to be um, part of this society? Did it ever stop you to go to st- uh, university or to go to work, etc.? Or did it help you? Did it help you to 
become better person to prosper let us know you answer the number is 0286877878 or you can go on our social at voice of islam uk um we will be back with a short break and after that we will start with the uh, segment and we will have a guest as well uh so do me a favor stay tuned with the voice of some radio You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. In the name of Allah, the most gracious of our merciful dear listeners, welcome back to Breakfast Show. We will come straight to a topic which is very, very important and is very highly discussed here in the West as well. It's about, you know, it's about a piece of cloth, basically. Uh, it's about the uh, headscarf and uh, France has banned his Olympic athletes to wear the headscarf and which is very criticized by the UN as um what can you tell us about the gist so the UN has uh, weighed uh, is on, uh, on France debate about secularism and women's clothing and um, saying that uh, women should not be forced to abide by dress codes after the French government said athletes representing France should be barred from wearing headscarves during the 2024 Olympic Games in fr- Paris. You know, this is um, something very, as I said, very important as well. And I think to understand this, is uh, we need someone who's also wearing a headscarf and who can explain us how difficult it is maybe to live in the Western society. But I still think... That is very brave for, especially for the female people as well, for the female Muslims, so, to wear the headscarf in the society, uh, even though they w- will be rejected as well, anywhere they go, f- for looking for a job, or looking for a place in the university, or even if they want to go to a restaurant maybe, but still, they go out, they take the courage, and still wear the headscarf as well. It's like the people, if they even stop them, they won't listen to them and this is you know bravery which we see um the listeners if you, if you agree with me do me a favor call the number is 0208 or you can go on our social at voice of islam uk ask them um why do what's the reason why do muslim women wear that scarf so um his holiness the said that you know women should not um and basically put on makeup and walk around the streets uh, without um, parda, the headscarf as well, um, has highlighted that modesty is the true adornment of women and that they take pride in this way to say we have, uh, you know, familiar ties or such and such families and friends, family friends. And for this reason, we do not observe the parda, which is um, a covering, is un- in- entirely incorrect. When the hijab is left, it is then that immodesty spreads. That was the address at the ladies' uh, annual convention by His Holiness uh, in 2019. And, um, you know, Asim, um, talking about uh, the hijab as well, um, in this recent uh, Friday's sermon, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he um, basically to discuss this matter as well and uh, he demonstrated or he explained uh, the importance of wearing the hijab 
for a woman. Um, there's the incident he um, told us in the in the sermon, uh, which happened with a Muslim lady, um, that she went to a shop in Medina and she uh, she went to that shop and um, suddenly the the owner of the shop he, he was Jew, and uh, he exposed her. Uh, and uh, she uh, yes. uh, and instead yeah. of you know being ashamed of what he did he started laughing at it as well and all the surrounding Jews did the same and uh, you know this is the matter you know um, why this is very important for us that we want to protect those things which we, uh, we, uh, which are very dear to us right we, we, for example when we buy something very um, uh, something which is very important to us Well, you did to us, we protect that. Yes, we just don't leave it outside anywhere, so everyone could look at it. No, we protect it, right? Um, I remember, um, just very simple example is if you have hundred pounds, you won't show to everyone. Listen, I have hundred pounds. No, you will protect that. You will hide it any somewhere. So this is what happened then in this time of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam as well. That we need to hide the dignity, the honor of of a woman, somehow. And but not even that. We need to find a way where we can teach men, yes, how to behave as a gentleman. And I think this is why women are wearing the headscarf as well, is because, and this we will listen to this too from our guests as well, that wearing the headscarf is, first of all, that um, we show men f first point, you know, when uh, uh, we showing the men the first point that you should respect us as human beings. Right, you should respect us. You should give us the honor. Yes, you should. Uh, um, you shouldn't look as as like an uh, as an object, but you should raise our status as a human being as well. So the woman, you know, he and he comes the responsibility of the woman. Why women are so very important in society? A woman who's wearing the headscarf is basically teaching man that point that it's time for you to become a gentleman. And this is one point, uh, one reason as well. I believe why women are wearing the headscarf as well, so they can educate men who can't behave, unfortunately, and it's very sad. Um, and uh, this incident I just mentioned has um, led to so many troubles as well. Uh, and um, I believe, in, uh, you know, um, this is very simple. As I said many, many times, we have this woman organization who calls out for peace for. Um, For um, to give women's rights as well, etc. And then you know when it comes to Muslim women, when they were told not to wear the hijab, not to wear this piece of clothes, suddenly they are every one of them is silent. The only people who are speaking are the most uh, female Muslims, yeah, the Muslim women who say no, we won't listen to you. We do what Allah has told us. We want to be recognized as Muslims. We want to be recognized as those who are educating men and those who are safeguarding themselves from their views, from uh, from their eyes, etc. So this is, I think, it's a very important matter um, uh, for us as well. And I believe, you know, when we understand this point, Arsene, it comes to my mind that the headscarf is basically not for women. It's more for us, for the men. Though that he can learn and he can educate himself as when he sees a woman that he knows, okay, I know how to behave. Uh, otherwise, um, otherwise, I think this is the best way as well to build a society, a respectful society. So my belief, Asim, you will, I think you will agree with me, to make a society better, healthier, it is important that we have 
Muslim uh, women who are wearing the headscarf so they can educate us as as well. I'm not Absolutely, saying that every yeah. man is like this, yeah, but yeah. mostly mm-hmm. men are like this. I mean, if you, if we, on the other, if you look in the Quran at chapter 33 verse 60, it says, uh, you know, Allah says that, O Prophet, tell your wives and your daughters and the women and the believers that they should pu- pull down upon them of the outer cloaks from the heads over the faces. This is more likely that they may thus be recognized and not molested. And Allah is f- most forgiving and merciful. So in this light of you know instruction, some women choose to cover their faces, whereas others prefer to cover their heads only, leaving their faces uncovered and bare of uh, makeup. Uh, both of, of uh, you know which are valid interpretations, um, according to various uh, schools of Islamic jurisprudence. Uh, so some choose to adopt a com- compromise between the two by covering the faces when they apply the makeup. And as you know, um, I've seen um, because we're talking about Western societies. We talk about like, let's talk about France. We have seen like uh, in France this turbulence as well against Muslim women as well. And it's n- for us, it's very easy to say, listen, okay, we are men, we don't have this problem. But our sisters, they do have the problem, and. Uh, for us, therefore, we need to look after them. And but we need. I want to know. I think everyone wants to know how they basically feel. It's not like they were ever us. So, their listeners. Therefore, what we have done is we have introduced. Uh, basically, we have called someone who can discuss this point with us as well. Uh, her name is Naul Sahil. Uh, Naul, uh, if I have pronounced your name wrong, please correct me. Um, but. Oh dear listeners, she is a Moroccan native who was raised in France. Recently, she relocated to London to embark on an MA in Social Justice Journalism at the University of the Arts. In addition to her academic pursuit, she holds the position of Nisa Data, Mina Region, at the Muslim Vibe, where she actively writes and produces videos focusing on a wide array of social issues and current affairs. Noel Sahil. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May the peace and blessing of Allah be with you as well. Welcome to the breakfast show. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you for having me. Um, just before we start, um, your first name, I hope you, I haven't pronounced it wrong. Yeah, it's okay. It's um, pronounced Nawal. Oh, Nawal. Wow, beautiful name. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so, um, um, you've born, uh, like, uh, you were raised in France and... Uh, now we have seen that France has banned women wearing the headscarf, who are, uh, basically those of Lee taking part in, uh, want to take part in the Olympic, that they are not allowed to wear the headscarf. Um, what arguments did the UN put forward in the criticism for France, and have there been any responses from the French government? Yeah, so basically in response to the ban, uh, the United Nations um, has stated that the controversial move um, from France uh, disproportionately uh, affects women of the Muslim faith and also perpetrating gender and religious discrimination. Uh, so also in a statement, um, the United Nations uh, Rights Office uh, spokeswoman Marta Ortado expressed similar sentiments. Uh, she said in the statement, no one should impose on a woman what she needs to wear or not wear. And also she added these discriminatory practices against a group can have harmful consequences. Uh, 
Um, she added also um, that as part of the signatory to the international convention, um, that is aimed to like eliminate discrimination against women, the country, France, has to take all the appropriate measures to modify any social cultural patterns which are based on the idea of inferiority and or superiority of ever sexes. And she also argues uh, that restrictions on the expression of religion or beliefs were only acceptable under really specific circumstances that address legitimate concerns for public safety, public order, or public health. So um, this, in the statement, the United Nations actually accused, uh, accuses the, um, France to disproportionately um, targeting uh, women of the Muslim faith. Thank you very much. Uh, so, Noel, um, what I wanted to ask that, uh, what are the potential consequences of such a ban on the participation and representation of Muslim athletes in um, Olympic Games? Yeah, well, um, I believe the ban will first um, reinforce the sentiments of like intolerance towards the hijab in France. Uh, also, it may create a more dangerous and unsafe environment for Muslim women wearing the headscarf in France, and not only in sports, but in society. It may also limit um, the representation of Muslim athletes in the Olympic Games, which goes against the principle of diversity and inclusivity in sports. And also, um, I would say some Muslim athletes might be discouraged from pursuing a career in sports or participating in the Olympic Games if they feel like their religious beliefs are incompatible with the competition rules. Uh, I would like for my ex personal experience um, and also professional, I mean, I spoke to um, a French athlete, uh, it's called Salimata Sila, a few months ago, and she's a basketball player who was denied access to the field during a national competition for wearing the hijab. And as a response, she left the French basketball league because she couldn't like practice anymore. And she created her own league um, that enables Muslim women wearing the hijab to practice basketball and uh, attend competition around France. That is really interesting and a good initiative from her. Yeah. Um, so how does this uh, ban fit into the broader context of the, the debates around uh, religious freedom and cultural expression in France and also globally? Yeah, so uh, basically as a French national, uh, this decision is not very surprising, coming from France. Um, the country has a history of actively targeting Muslim women wearing uh, the hijab, uh, the niqab, the burqa, in the name of French secularism. Uh, in France, it's known as laïcité, which often comes into conflict with like religious expressions in the public sphere. Um, just like kind of like historical context, um, I would give. Uh, Laicity is primarily based on the nine, um, 1905 law, which provides uh, the state for officially organizing, funding, or understanding religious groups. So when we look at the hijab bans today, we see no correlation between the 1905 law principles and the hunt led by the French government towards Muslim women. Um, in 2004, France was the first country to, to ban hijab in state schools. And seven years later, it banned full faith fields uh, in public spaces. 
Um, so more recently, um, and more specifically, actually last August, the French government said it banned a bias along a row black garment, often worn by Muslim women in state schools. And it resulted in dozens of like schoolgirls being reminded of the rules or sent home in view of a larger policy of secularism. And, you know, I believe today the French government has twisted its own law to put pressure on the religious community in France. Um, Noel, um, you are talking about French government and you're talking about the bans they have done in the recent years mm-hmm. on Muslim women. Now we have seen very sad uh, incidents in France as well about a Muslim woman who was arrested by police officer yeah. only because of saying Assalamu alaikum or a woman who was shot recently by a pus- um, um, policeman as well who was wearing the headcuff as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think how do you think the future of Muslim women do you think it, uh, it is becoming more um, terrific for them in the future yes uh, definitely uh, I think there's no like going back uh, the French uh, government is like targeting Muslim women on a daily basis mm-hmm. uh, they can go to school they, they barely can find any job even though they just like study for years uh, earn a bachelor's degree a master's degree so I think it will be just even worse uh, during the, the next years. So. Because, you know what, well, um, I remember when uh, Emmanuel Macron, when he was elected as a president, and I was actually yes. very happy because in his counterpart, Le Pen wanted to become the president as well, and she, she was far right. And I thought having Macron, maybe things will change. But it hasn't. It, for me, it has. it's like it's become even more worse. Um, why do you think, where is this hatred coming from? I think I would say um, it's basically because he wants to like uh, seduce his like uh, liberals, uh, viewers, liberal uh, supporters, and I think he's doing that to just like not uh, side with too much actually with the Muslim community, uh, over religious uh, groups in France, and just like uh, be honest and uh, to his, like, values of secularism, I would say. Mm. And, uh, Noel, uh, last question. Um, I, I really like it when I heard that you are basically um, studying social justice journalism. I think yeah. this is what we need nowadays as well. Um, and as a ju- journalist who works on social justice, would you class this as an important social issue about uh, the ban of um, a French athlete who wearing the headcuff? Uh, mm-hmm. do, do, do you th- class this as an important social issue that needs to be addressed? And what advice and what advice would you give to our viewers to tackle this kind of religious discrimination? Yeah, so I think that the hijab issue is a very concerning topic um, that needs to be addressed very often, uh, as it affects a lot of Muslim women in their daily lives. For my experience, uh, I have seen the hijab ban affect my Muslim friends who wear. Uh, wear the the, the headscarf mm. and who cannot find any a job even though they you know studied for years, earn a master's degree, doctorate, and you know Muslim women in France are often confronted with the difficult choice of either taking off the hijab to work or sacrificing their professional life for their religion, and as a country that prides itself on its human rights and especially women's rights. I think this is unacceptable to treat women this way and exclude them from society. 
Um, and, you know, what needs to be done is mainly to raise awareness on the issue. And myself as a journalist, I try my best to make uh, their voices heard the word. And, you know, as a human being, you know, like you and me, you can also raise awareness through social media, use your platform to advocate mm -hmm. for change that respects religious freedom and cultural expression. No, this is very important. And uh, I'm very happy that, um, that whatever you do, because you're justice journalism, so whatever you do, you do it with justice. And this is what we need nowadays as well, formal journalists as well. Uh, Noel, um, thank you for joining the Breakfast Show as well and sharing your thought. It was very amazing listening to you as well. And I wish you all the best for the future. Thank you. Thank you very much for having thank me. Thank you. Thank you. So, dear listeners, you just uh, listened to Noel uh, Sahil, who is um, studying social justice journalism here in the UK in London, who's Moroccan native but is uh, raised in France. And Asim, um, she made, uh, in the end, she made a very good point. Uh, you know, France, who has been, well, not recognized, but always said that it falls for human rights, uh, for women's rights as well. And this is what we heard from the Western society so many times. Billions of times, yes, we are the one who know about human rights. We are the one who knows about women's rights. But still, we don't see these things when it comes to Muslim women and wearing the hijab. And she made a very good point as well that there should be an awareness as well. There should be someone who can tell that as well. Which she's doing as well, so I'm very glad to know that as well. But there should be more, I believe, as well. And it, there is a focus on that as well from the Ahmadiyya Muslim community as well. But um, Absolutely, I mean... Um, I want to cover um, sure. something else as well that, um, you know, the covering of the head is not uh, actually a concept that is just unique to Islam. Okay. Uh, okay. But is is found in biblical literatures also. You know, the Bible taught uh, the wearing of a, of a veil long before Islam. So in the Old Testament, we read that when Rebe Rebecca lifted up her eyes and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel, for she had said unto the servant, What man is this that uh, walked in, in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. That's from Genesis 24, uh, 64 and 65. And also in the New Testament we read that what every woman that prayed, um, or prophesied with her head uncovered, dishonored her head, for that is even all one, as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shown. But if it be a shame for woman to be shown or shaven, let her be covered. Um, so that's the uh, chapter 11 from f verse f 5 and 6. So we can see that even the Bible, you know, the Old Testament mm. and the New Testament mm. have said that covering the head is is important for women. And, uh, you know, they used to do that. We exactly, just go like yeah. um, before the Second World War, before the First World War. Women, you would see a lot of women. You still see a um, few old women wearing the headscarf. It used to be a part uh, of the lives, uh, the way they lived, and uh, they, w they wouldn't be ashamed. Nowadays, we see nuns who are wearing the headscarves, but no one is questioning them, of course, because they're Christian. And we don't mind if they question us because we are very happy to answer their questions as well. Yeah, so if you have any, any, anything in your mind, just ask me. But the reason is that it is very important that people should learn about this is that they just think they just look great somebody low, right? They think that they are not acceptable.
or they are sec- uh, low, uh, second class people. I'll just give you one example. I was watching a documentary, yes, and there was a person who was in the hospital who was treated by a girl who was wearing the hijab and he was surprised. Why is he wearing a hijab? Like, the comment was like, oh God, she's not even able to look after me. No, only because she was wearing the hijab. And she would be might be treated differently if she wouldn't wear the hijab. But wearing the hijab doesn't make you weaker. It makes you, I think, uh, as I said, and as uh, I said as well, this is something we need to focus on as well, as well. Uh, and uh, wearing the hijab is for women very important as well. It makes us strong as well in the society as well. I see fights for for her, um, her rights. And Asim, you mentioned uh, the Bible as well. And we see, for example, the Mother Mary, right? Listen, this is very important. You should know that in Islam, Mother Mary, the mother of Jesus, is considered one of the most noble persons in the Holy Quran. And God has told us to take her as a role model. And when we look at the pictures of Mother Mary, just give me one picture where she is not wearing the headscarf, where she's not covering herself. So when Allah told us to take her as a role model, this is what we do, this is what women do, they just basically followed her footsteps, right? So before you judge, before you do some, say something wrong, remember the reason why we actually doing this. One reason is because Mother Mary did the same. Absolutely, yeah. definitely. But as Asim, um, what about us? I mean, there, sh- there is a, a, a commandment, I believe, for us as well. Absolutely. I mean, the you know the the restrictions of for modesty is not uh, purely for women. In Islam, restrictions are equal for both and women, uh, men and women. Sorry. So God Almighty first taught the way of modesty and purda to to men. He says, "Say to the believing men that they restrain their eyes and guard their private parts. This is purer for them." Surely Allah is well aware of what they do. That's from the Holy Quran, chapter 24, verse 31. So God Almighty first commanded faithful men to do um, which means lowering the gaze um, because it is necessary for purity. If there's no purity, then you know one cannot find God. Thus, before commanding women to do parda, men are also commanded to refrain from all that which may incite their emotions. And they are pro- prohibited from seeing women with open eyes, mixing with women, watching vulgar films, and chatting with you know um, people on um, uh, social media. All those, you know, all these do um, to basically maintain chastity. Islam has instructed uh, both men and women to keep their gazes down when facing the opposite agenda. Or to, or to guard their eyes from looking at anything that may lead to basically lustful thoughts and illicit behavior. So remember, modesty is, you know, it is essential character trait of a person. So you must not avoid all that violates the Islamic induction of chastity. Um, if you are respected in this, then you can claim true spiritual advancement. That's, that was from the address of, of the... Um, um, 2016 on, on uh, September 26. So you know the uh, the national gathering of the user community. Uh, yes, organization of the Muslim community. Uh, dear listeners, um, we will come. We basically just reached uh, reached the hour, which means we will go for a short break, and after the news break, we will be back, and we have a pre-recording as well from one of the Muslim community, a female 
member who will also explain us the importance of wearing hijab and she will also focus why it is important in the western society that they recognize no woman wearing hijab because they totally being playing a big part to make this society much better also better to on to prosper with this society so stay tuned with the voice of voice of slam radio and don't go anywhere You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. In the name of Allah the most gracious ever merciful dear listeners welcome back to Breakfast Show. And uh, dear listeners we were discussing about the very important topic about headscarf and why headscarf is so important for the society and for the Islamic religion as well not only for women but especially for men as well. we were covering few points as well and asim um i just want to say that when we talk about headscarf it is not just the muslims you have pointed this as well it's not just muslim women are wearing headscarf also here in the western society we have seen the nuns who are wearing the headscarf as well and uh, what i've seen is sometimes in hot weather the woman even here like the non muslim women start covering their head as well uh, only maybe because they want to be refrained from the sunlight but still it's kind of covering them as well and this is what the head cover is basically there as well um but if it comes to a muslim woman or if it comes to muslim i said before as well uh, there are uh, questions always be raised but we are here happy to answer the question but i, I just want to f- clear this up wearing a headscarf doesn't mean that you are not capable to do certain things um we have muslim many many muslim women who are wearing the headscarf who are nurses teachers professors journalists etc so the headscarf is basically happening uh or not stopping them to do their certain things so i never understood about some uh, the point why making such a big fuss of just a piece of clothes and it's some it's still it is very um, um strange for me um asim now because i try to focus on the benefits of the headscarf i know you know, uh, can share more of these things um which i think are in common practice as well absolutely so you know a true believer you know has to keep his practices in view each moment so keeping an eye on everything in every matter alone can be a step in the right direction so once a person is inclined to evil he's basically doomed by so by avoiding evil one comes in hijab covering and once this hijab is removed one after the other uh, badness takes over an example for women is the state of uh, parda modesty once it is removed things can go very far so this was the from from the fire the sermon delivered by his holiness on the 20th december 2013 so uh, for, for your uh, you know for you uh, your religion and for for me my religion which is uh, uh, chapter 9 7 islam does not support any form of expressing hatred against the unbelievers islam teaches to turn away from influences with dignity 
that are unholy and immoral but to engage in dialogue nonetheless. Um, if the influence is positive and promotes good, the Holy Quran calls on Muslims to cooperate with each other. Each other. So that that is some things, you know, some advantages. Dear listeners, um, we have also um, pre-recording prepared with a um, member of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community explaining the importance of Hatskab, especially uh, here in the West, uh, Western society. Do me a favor, do enjoy this uh, pre-recording and we will be back after that pre-recording. In the name of Allah, the most gracious and merciful, Dear listeners, um, right now I'm here with the live devotee of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Mrs. Reem Sharaiki. Uh, she's with me right now on hold as well. Um, uh, Mrs. Reem Sharaiki, uh, welcome to the Bakwa Show. Um, Mrs. Sharaiki, I just want to know about uh, the segregation between men and women and also about... Mm-hmm you wearing the headscarf, how you feel uh, wearing mm-hmm. the hijab. Before that, can in Islam, there is a teaching of segregation between man and woman. Could you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit more about this practice? Uh, you know, Islam is not the only system to suggest segregation. In modern public transportation systems, women-only passengers' cars are found in the buses of Brazil, Mexico, and Japan. So women only, also we have women only taxi services operate worldwide, including in Britain. And many public services, including gyms and public pools in in, in Britain itself, offer timed uh, women only facilities. So in a free society, individuals should choose for themselves where they want to sit or when they want to swim or to go to the gym and so on. Anyway, in, in the same manner, segregation in Islam between men and women is to offer the comfort, freedom, and ease for women. And the Islamic concept of segregation is to protect the sanctity of female chastity and the honor of women in society so that the dangers of violating these objectives are minimized. Uh, we have also to understand that Segregation in Islam is not an imposition of restriction on female members of the Muslim society from fully participating in all spheres of human activities. But men and women are both advised to abstain not only from casting covetous uh, eyes at each other, but to abstain from such visual or physical contact as may lead to temptation. So, in short, segregation is to protect women and to give them freedom and the space to grow alone and to conduct their own programs without the help of men. And in places where it is difficult to have this segregation, uh, such as workplace, universities, or the like, uh, modesty should be adopted by men and women. And men especially should lower their gaze when they speak to their female colleagues and they should show the utmost respect towards them. So, um, uh, Mr. Shaiki, well, I understand is that you said that in Islam, Islam encouraged women to work alone independently, not in the shadow, not the shadow of man, but exactly. independently. And uh, the other thing you just mentioned is that uh, segregation or um, uh, modesty is also taught to men. So, in Islamic teaching, uh, modest, uh, modesty uh, is not only for women, is it also for men as well? 
Of course, as I said, that um, Islam uh, commanded man to respect women, and when he speaks to her, he should lower her, his gaze. He should not yeah. look or stare at her, you know. And he has to show the utmost respect when he is in contact with women at workplace or in the street or any any other place. And uh, Mrs. Shaikh, you know, because we're living here in the Western society, and unfortunately, we have seen many times that. These people here in the Western society, they look down to a woman who is wearing a headscarf. Now, you are also someone who wears the headscarf. What does it mean to you to wear a headscarf? Um, you know, wearing a headscarf does not change the person and it does not diminish her. So for me, it is a part of my identity and belief. So the yeah. first thing I think about when I put on my hijab before leaving the house is that I'm wearing it in obedience to Allah's command. Uh -huh. Just as I pray, fast, pay out, or perform hajj, all, I'm doing all of these in obedience to Allah's commandments. So likewise, hijab is an Islamic obligation, and I wear it to please Allah the Almighty. This is the first thing I am always having in mind. Moreover, hijab gives me a sense of liberation to express myself in the way I want and the way I desire. So it makes me feel empowered. And the sense of liberation, high self-esteem, and unique identification all contribute, in fact, to making me feel my worth. Interesting. You know, uh, what you said in the beginning that uh, you want to be identified as a Muslim, I think this is very important because uh, a Muslim obviously is obsessed with his religion. He loves his religion. and He wants people to know about his religion as well. And the best way is to introduce himself. And I think... You just said it in the beginning very beautifully as well that you want to identify as a Muslim so people could get in touch with you if they have any question about Islam as well. Exactly, exactly. Way. So this is the first uh, outreach, uh, you know, uh, behavior I, oh. I have when I am outside. That's why uh, when I lock the door of my house and leave it, I have always to keep in mind that everyone will judge me as a Muslim and I, yeah. I have to behave in accordance to the beautiful and peaceful teachings yeah. of Islam. Exactly. And this is one benefit you have uh, where you had come. Are there any other uh, benefits as well? And this is what I mentioned that, you know, I feel empowered when I choose what I want to wear. So this is, exactly. it is commandment of Allah which I myself, uh, you know, choose to, to obey. And then, this is giving me the feeling of liberation and empowerment when I choose what I want to wear outside my house. Now, this is exactly what nowadays, you know, the women rights organization always says that please leave us alone, let us choose what we want to do. And I think you exactly. gave a very beautiful example of being a Muslim woman. You just are being like off the forefront for this organization to tell them, listen, we are here and we show them, how, uh, we show the world how, how we can live with our belief as well in the Western society, which is also very important. Uh, Reem Sharaki Sahib, thank you for your time. It was very interesting listening to you and I uh, wish you all the best for the future as well. Uh, thank you for thank joining you for the having me. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful dear listeners, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Reem Sharaki. Um, and she made a very good point. She wants to identify it as a Muslim and uh, by wearing the headscarf as well. And this is why I want to be identified as well because I am very, a proud Muslim. I'm something I'm proud of it and I want people to know about this as well. But yes, I would be, you know, I would be very empowered as well if people start telling me, hey, you know, you know what, you can't wear this, this, and this, and this. You know, awesome. when I sit in the underground 
and I see people sometimes I see people just wearing different dresses like me and I don't like the way of wearing these dresses but it's not like I go to them and tell them listen you can't wear this and sometimes these dresses are not acknowledged in the society as well by other people but still others don't go to them and tell them listen because you're wearing this I think you are not better person than me no this is totally wrong and um, absolutely I mean if I see any a Asian man or woman wearing their traditional dresses I'll, I'll be impressed I'll be I'll, I'll actually like it you know when someone wears their traditional dress if African wears their traditional dress I won't shouldn't go to him and say oh you know I, I don't like your dress you shouldn't wear this and, and this is like you know, none of my business this is very easy to understand that and why making such a big fuss about just a piece of clothes and uh, just remember because a woman only because she's wearing the headscarf doesn't mean she can't do certain things no it does mean that she's very capable of doing a lot of things because she's very brave wearing the headscarf in a society where she knows she won't be accepted even though still she goes out start looking for a job start working for different companies etc and being part of the society which is very important because only then the society can also prosper the listeners we will end uh, the first segment now and we will come to the second segment which is how would we know whether there's life on earth and awesome uh, astronomy is very important Islam has talked about this many many times in the Holy Quran as well um, what is the gist of the story so the gist is that uh, 30 years ago astronomer Carl Sagan convinced NASA to turn a passing space probes instrument towards earth to look for life at a time when technologies were not ad- as advanced so trying to prove whether there was life on earth helped to provide insight on how to look for life on other planets amazing interesting and awesome um, now you just read out the article um uh, you mentioned the article i think uh, the listeners would be very interested as well i'm int- already interested to know what experiment were carried out So uh, NASA's Galileo spacecraft was launched in October 1999 becoming the first uh, spacecraft to orbit Jupiter. And uh, the Galileo spacecraft was initially to be launched at a fast speed to Jupiter with another space shuttle carrying the rocket abroad. However, with the unfortunate incident in January 1986 in which you know the space shuttle Challenger killed seven people exploding shortly after liftoff and NASA decided to launch Galileo more gently and slingshot it around Venus and Earth so it would gain the momentum it needed to launch it all the way to Jupiter astronomer Carl Sagan convinced NASA to point the spacecraft um instrument towards the earth as i just mentioned um you know passed by a planet in an attempt to detect the signs of life on earth as you would with any other planet so regarding this you know you can see from the holy quran chapter 30 verse 41 it says that it is allah who has created you and then he has provided for you then he will cause you to die and then he will bring you to life is there any of your partners who can do any of these things glorified be he and exalted above that which they associate with him interesting dear listeners um you know um alas spoken about this topic 
as well in the Holy Quran. Um, I remember uh, it's, it's a verse which I really like, and I do uh, recite this worth quite often um, in in the morning as well, um, which is I read out the English translation: "Those who remember Allah while standing, sitting, and lying." on the side and ponder over the creation of the heavens and the earth our lord thou hast not created this in vain nay holier thou save us then from the punishment of the fire uh, and uh, if you go with the previous verse which is in the previous verse god speaks about the creation he says in the creation of the heavens and the earth and in the alternation of the night and the day there is indeed signs for man of understanding now awesome this is sad Let's say um, almost thousand five hundred years ago, the Holy Prophet peace be upon him is speaking about the heaven. You know, uh, in that time, people even didn't know anything about that, uh, and they they never thought that from that you can basically understand God's way, or you basically find God in this way as well. Uh, they didn't know about the galaxies. They didn't know about the stars in the galaxy. They didn't know that there are other galaxies as well, billions of other galaxies and billions of other stars in those galaxies. And yet, the Holy Quran is speaking about that 1,400 years ago, pointing out to that point, saying that, go and look to that, ponder to that, understand the way of everything, understand how um, of the of the alternation of the night and the day. So I think um, Islam is basically a religion who has many, many times, and has proved many, many times, point out things which... Science has discovered, let's say, 100 years ago, which are already being mentioned in the Holy Quran 1,400 years ago by, and this is very important in this, by a man, by the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, yes, who never went to a school, never had a teacher, never had the opportunity to learn this. The only teacher who told him that was Allah, the Almighty, we, we believe, the God of Islam. So, and we believe in this sense, and you know, God has said many, many times. Look at if you look at our own own um, uh, universe, our own galaxy. We see how it works. Yes, we see like there's a structure, right? The sun is the is the center, and every all the other stars going around the sun and taking benefit from that. And uh, it is n- it never happened that suddenly, let's say that <laughs> the Earth went through the sun. In, yes, came came out from the other side. Which would be very painful for us, mm-hmm. of course. So there is like there has been someone who was basically following and looking everything, uh, 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 and this is you know why Allah said ponder over that. Just understand mm-hmm. that there is someone who's looking and taking care that everything is going to accordingly as it is planned. Because as I, if I would start looking into something, I would surely make a mistake because I'm a human being. But this is um, absolutely. Yeah, Sahil, I mean, I would like to mention on the another point is that um, when we have our Muslims um, who study the Quran in their fields, be it uh, science or math, they are very successful. So you know, we've got astronomers who are studying the Quran in depth, and they are becoming very successful. So. Um, I would like to point out this that if you would like to um even just uh, become an expert in your field studying the holy quran uh, finding the things 
which the Quran has said in your field, you know, can help you a lot. Definitely. Mm, definitely, exactly. Um, I think this is very important that in the end we need to understand that. Um, um, Asim, how much do you, how much interest do you have in astronomy? Um, not that much. I'm not gonna lie. But at one point, uh, if you if you look uh, on the scenes on on the universe on the stars, it is quite impressive that uh, every time I want to understand more about God, I just start looking to that, and I truly find something which I would see that this is God. That Everywhere, even in the earth, we see that animals were like fish. Yeah, have been born in water. It never happened that they were born in land. A camel would only live in the desert. That's why we find them in the desert. An iceberg is born in the North Pole. That's why we find them on there. So there is a structure God has made already. It's really interesting. Uh, indeed. Uh, and um, this is why I think this few signs which um, God has made for us and to understand. Um, but coming back um, uh, to the galaxy, um, to understand the galaxy and to find uh, ways to, f basically to understand, f therefore we have a professor with us, who, his name is Ian Crawford, who is a professor of planetary science and astrobiology at Beerpeg College, University of London. Professor Ian Crawford, uh, welcome and good, uh, good morning, welcome to the Breakfast Show. Oh, oh, hi. Good morning. Um, Professor, um, before we start, um, could you please tell us a little bit about what inspired you to go into the fields of astrophysics and astrobiology? Oh, I I was mostly inspired by, I think, three things. I, I was inspired by the Apollo program when uh, people were landing on the moon. Uh, I was eight in 1969. That was very inspiring. Um, I was inspired by my, my, my father. My father was a dentist, but he was interested in astronomy as well, and he encouraged me. Uh, and I was inspired by reading science fiction. I, I'm still inspired by science fiction. Uh, so but those are the three things that, that led me to a career in science and astronomy in particular. Oh, interesting. I have also very huge interest in science fiction. Um, um, Professor, what are some of the key ways to determine the plants, planets that have potential for life? Well, so potential for life is uh, is perhaps the easier bit because we'd look for planets that are... We, we know that life has evolved to live on the Earth. We know it requires liquid water. We know it requires a source of energy, um, mostly sunlight for life on the Earth, and it's made of certain chemical compounds. So we can look for planets where those things are available, um, like um, uh, Mars or Mars as it used to be in the past, some of the moons of the outer solar system and perhaps planets of other stars. But of course, that's the potential for life. That's different from knowing whether life really exists uh, in any of these places. Proving that is much harder. And of course, we haven't done that yet. Interesting. So, uh, Professor, um, how do we know that extraterrestrial life will be similar biologically to that on Earth and hence will have similar needs? Oh, well, we don't. 
we don't. So that that's kind of just a place to start. I mean, we know that our kind of life is possible because here we are, and we know what we need. So we can look for places in the in, in the universe that are that are similar to Earth in that respect. Uh, but you're right; it's an assumption. Uh, the universe is a very big place, and life might be based elsewhere on different principles. So uh, all we can do is keep an open mind as we as we explore the universe. But we've got to start somewhere. So starting with our kind of life is kind of a sensible place to start. Interesting. So are there any major hurdles or questions scientists have been unable to overcome in the research of extraterrestrial life? Yeah, just the the sheer distance. I mean, the planets are all a long way away. The stars are even further. So just accessing these places is really difficult. I mean, obviously, in our own solar system, we visited some planets uh, like Mars, for example, uh, uh, with space probes. But those are very difficult and expensive. Uh, and they've not yet been able to find evidence for life on Mars or anywhere else in the solar system. And the planets of other stars, are, I mean, those are totally out of reach. We can't yet send spacecraft to those. So we have to study those using large telescopes. Um, and they're very faint. We don't get much light from them. Uh, and so there's just, yeah, there's just a difficulty in getting enough data, basically, just because the other planets are so far away. Sure. So I understand that you have actually published a book chapter on future space governance in Brightening Disguise. So in your view, um, what stage do you think, you know, we will uh, reach in terms of space exploration and development uh, and do you think it's possible um, humans will have uh, colonies on other planets in our solar system? I, I do think that is possible in the future, yes. We're quite a long way away from it. I mean, the space age is only about 70 years old and we're still almost beginning. Mm -hmm. um, but we are learning. We are learning how to live and work in space. And so I think it must be possible for... Um, Certainly, obviously, it's possible to explore space because we're doing that and we could explore it even more. And I hope that we do. Um, it, whether large numbers of people will ever live and work uh, on other planets in the solar system, uh, I mean, I don't know, but it is possible. Yes, it is. It is a possible feature for humanity. Yeah. I think it's probably worth striving for. Well, Professor, just one question um, in regards of that. What do you think, how long do we have to wait for that to see that there are colonies in other planets? Well, well it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of, um, I don't think it's kind of a matter of waiting because that, that kind of implies it'll just happen if we just wait long enough. Uh, like, like many things that we might want to happen in the future, it will only happen if we make it happen. Mm -hmm. so, so I think it's something for us to work towards. Um, but clearly, looking, looking at where we are, it will be many decades. Uh, I mean, it might be a century or, oh, okay. or there are large numbers of people living in space. But we can start now. I mean, that's the thing. We can start on a small scale and gradually uh, build up. And uh, all like the thing is that obviously living on, on the planet is not easy. But all the technology, do you think the technology is already advanced that we can basically live, have a healthy life on another planet? Not yet. But I think it's getting there. 
I think we can see what we need. I mean, all, 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 as you say, all the other planets, we'll never find a planet elsewhere in the universe that is better adapted to life than the Earth, or better adapted mm. to our kind of life than the Earth, because we evolved on the Earth and we're completely adapted to it. So if we want to go and live on other planets, we have to use our technology to make take our own kind of environment with us, if you like. And that requires food and oxygen. For many places in space, it requires protection from the harsh, radi harsh radiation environment. So we need technologies to provide all of these things. Um, but yes, I, I think technology is developable. So humanity collectively, I hope, because um, I do believe we should be exploring space as a united humanity. <laughs> uh, so I hope humanity collectively, uh, this, is a, this is a decision we'll have to make. Do we really want to go and live on Mars? Do we really want to live on the moon? But if the answer is yes, then yes, I think the technology can be developed. Um, Professor, just regarding your point, if don't you think it's better if we have like Elon Musk, SpaceX, and these other companies, you know, Virgin Atlantic, all working together with those astronomers, and we can, you know, progress quicker? Yes. Yes, I, I, do, I do strongly think that space exploration should be a collaborative project for humanity. Um, I say I, I'm not really... I mean, I know historically there's been a lot of competition between different nation-states, I, I think it would be much better if different nations uh, collaborated in space exploration. And the same with the private companies as well. I mean, obviously, private companies do have to make uh, money because that's why they're private companies. But I, I, I do think they sh that it, would be, it ought to be possible for them to collaborate uh, uh, in, in space exploration. Yes, and I think that would be beneficial. Professor, just one last question. Um, living now in another planet, how much people can live there in regards of all the technology we have and all the oxygen we have for many, for how many people is this sufficient again i think it depends on depends on what, how much once once you've developed the technology hmm. then in a sense there isn't a limit it really then becomes how much you want to spend uh, um I think we've got, but we're still at a very early stage, right? I mean, we don't mm. yet have the capability to live on Mars or the Moon. So, but I think it would start. I think it would start small, mm. obviously. Perhaps you know, but perhaps the way to view this is something like the current research stations in Antarctica. This would be a good example. They support mm. perhaps a few tens, perhaps a few hundreds of people. Uh, and that, I think that's how it would start on both the moon and Mars. But then in the future, if there was a desire to grow those uh, outposts into something that more resembled uh, colonies of people, small cities of people, uh, yes, it's possible. I, I, I think it would be possible. But, it's a, but whether it's desirable or not, that's the question. And, and that's, a, that's a question that, you know, the human race will have to decide in the future but, but like i said we're probably 100 years or so away mm. <laughs> from mm. space colonies on that scale yeah professor ian Crawford, very interesting what you just said and i really enjoyed it i think this one of the, this was one of the most interesting interview i have basically i have already i have ever had on the uh, voice of islam radio um because um i really like uh, worth hoping that um we might be able to live or able to go to other planets and to have like, let's say, a practice life on this um, other planets. 
earlier than in just waiting decades and decades and decades. Um, so therefore, I uh, I was much interested in to listen to what you have said. Um, thank you for joining at the breakfast show, and I wish you all the best for the future. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Awesome. If you have to go, what planet would you choose? Um, planet Earth. Yeah, all right. Okay, that's a good question and answer. Yeah, but no. To be honest, like if you had the opportunity to live just for a few days, just to for discovery, would you choose? Doesn't matter any planet. Because it's interesting. Um, just not the sun. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, I, th I don't. I don't think that we can make that. Well, maybe uh, we never know. But um, it is a very interesting. Uh, what Professor Ian has said that it is doable. It is possible. Well, we still go a hundred years. Hundred years, he said. Yes, um, um, in regard of technology and uh, how much oxygen we need, but he never. He and this is what I liked. He never said that this is not possible. He said it is possible. It is, yeah. And this is um, what uh, human beings have always been shown that we can do things which are possible. Uh, well, yeah, as you said, uh, it's, it's can take decades, decades, even centuries. So we need to wait for that. I don't think we we able to see that. It's uh, it's it's for for a lot of people. I think it's a wish, dream to see other planets, to see um, how they are, to feel. Not obviously we can't feel them, but at least to be there and to tell them that yes, we have made it. Anyhow, um, I mean, I guess our great great grandchildren can enjoy this moment. Yeah, maybe. Why not? Um, if not we, um, then them. Uh, awesome. But to be honest, um, the Holy Quran he has spoken about this as well. Uh, the Holy Quran spoke about that um, uh, there will be human beings, right? Um, who live? Uh, there will be person who will be step on the moon as well, prophesied in the Holy Quran as well. Um, what people often um, just don't know is that if there are other Christians, what are, if you talk about Islamic teachings, um, Islamic teachings uh, are they part of the Islamic teachings or not? Uh, God says that Holy Prophet was sent to the mankind to human beings, but <coughs> we know that he is Rahmatullah as well. So the teachings are for us, for human beings. But being Rahmatullah mercy for all mankind, for everything, means that even those who are not human beings can take benefit from his teachings. Like, for example, he has given rights to animals as well. So if, if there's a possibility that we meet people from the outside, uh, aliens, I'm talk if we meet them, if we are able to see them, I don't know if they exist, but if they do exist, yes, then uh, they will take benefit from the teachings as well in this regard that they sh we will show mercy, the mercy which was taught by the Holy Prophet peace be upon him. Um, carry on with uh, this topic as well, um, dear listeners. Uh, we will have uh, another guest with us who, who is Matthew Jench, who is a planetary scientist at Imperial College London where he studies meteorites, cosmic dust and astrobiology. His research examines everything from the origins of life on Earth to the formation of planetary system. Dr. Matthew Jange, good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Good morning. Prof Dr. Um, 
me and Hassan, we are a huge fan of astrobiology, of, uh, about astronomy, sorry. And uh, we had a professor, you know, with us, and we had a lot of questions we asked him. I think we will do the same with you as well. I hope you have time. Uh, no, absolutely. Always happy to, to answer the questions about astronomy. Great. Well, firstly, um, could you tell us a bit about the sort of things you research on planetary science and what sparked your interest on in this field? Well, so I'm I'm really interested in rocks. It's it sounds strange, mm. um, but but I'm actually a, ge a geologist. Okay. So I like I like rocks from out of space, and some of these come from, to us naturally. Um, we call them meteorites, and they just fall from the sky. Um, and these mainly are pieces of asteroids, and sometimes sometimes some of the tiny little dust particles that come from space are from comets. Um, and there are one or two from planets. And then, of course, we have the um, space returned samples that are brought back by, by space missioned, missions. And I like, to, I like to study these rocks in the laboratory to look for evidence on how those objects formed, how planets formed, um, and on on the, the the materials within within rocks from elsewhere in our solar system and how they might relate to the origins of life interesting doctor because um in islamic religion uh, the most holy place uh mecca we have the mosque over there um, we have a place where we have a stone which we known as a black stone and yeah, the we, yes you know exactly have you studied that uh, as well well, no, I haven't because you know it's it's a religious object, mm -hmm. and um, I I don't know whether they would let me have a little look at the Kaaba. <laughs> um, I presume it's a meteorite. Yes, it's a very dark coloured stone um, that was recovered from the desert, and you know we we tend to find the meteorites accumulate in deserts because they last a long time. Because it's so dark, it's probably a carbonaceous chondrite, which is a very organic, rich form of meteorite that comes from asteroids. But I'm just guessing, you know, mm. I'm just guessing mm. on the calories. But in this regard, um, uh, uh, Dr. Matthew, um, I will uh, um, uh, keep you updated if... Um, I mean, uh, you can look into history as well, how it was discovered, exactly. If you want to look more into it, um, I will let you know about this. Um, uh, I, ca I can't speak for myself. I need to uh, let you know from the experts if you are cap able at least to know uh, more about the stone. From uh, well, You know, I've got, I've got quite a few colleagues mm. um, who are planetary scientists who, who are, are Muslim, mm. uh, uh, who have have done pilgrimages, so they've seen the Kaaba. But I don't know. I've never. We've never discussed their thoughts on what it, what the stone actually is. Um, and you know, they, I, they, it's entirely possible that my colleagues are making, um, you know, a drawing a line between their science and their religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so we all tend to do that. You know, um, if we have religious beliefs. We um, we we reconcile them with our with our science. Mm. 
understand that yeah thank you dr mafia so um doctor how can you we use you know what we've learned from the origins of life on earth to actually aid our search for life on other planets well you know we don't actually know an awful lot about the origins of life on earth we know we know that um in the earliest records of rocks on earth which are around 3.8 billion years old that there is there is evidence in those rocks that life already existed um very simple microorganisms so that means that life the origins of life occurred very quickly after the after the formation of the earth um and we know in that in meteorites there are lots of organic molecules um including things like amino acids and sugars which are obviously the building blocks of of living things um but we think that those organic molecules formed without life within asteroids because you can make them in the depths of space without living things but we're really interested in whether those 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 building blocks whether they were delivered to the planets and accelerated the formation of life and what the the real key part of the puzzle that we don't know is how did that very first living thing appear on the surface of a planet was it was it spontaneous did it um occur very quickly or does it need very very specific conditions and the and the really the importance of this is if it's spontaneous if it happens easily if you have the right ingredients then we should find life everywhere so for example we should find life somewhere else in our our, our own solar system now if it needs very specific conditions then we could be the only place in the universe that has life interesting so um can space dust and debris from other planets contain traces of alien life and hence lead well, us well this, this this is something that scientists argue about because scientists do like arguing yeah. or disagreeing let's mm-hmm. say disagree um so there have been reports of fossil microbes within meteorites So there was a very famous meteorite um that came from planet Mars where they found very small structures that looked like bacteria. Um in fact they were a bit smaller than terrestrial bacteria. We now think that actually they weren't bacteria, they were that, that they were something else that looked like bacteria. Um and that's always the problem because you know you look down a microscope and there are many many um structures that can look like microbes especially if those microbes um are you know fossilized um better would be looking for the chemical traces of life because life leaves certain certain um chemical um chemical clues to its existence um and we've yet to find any conclusive evidence for life within meteorites or for orbiting space return samples 
Um, Dr. Matthew, um, in the beginning, uh, you were talking about uh, you Muslim friends and um, uh, about science as well. Um, we have the Muslim community, for example, we believe that all the prophecies which has been shown by our previous prophets can be um, proven by science as well. So what we say always is that Islam is a religion who can go walk with, is basically walking side by side with science as well. And uh, even if you look in the Holy Quran, um, there are many, many um, proofs of that. For example, the black uh, hole or the Big Bang Theory is also mentioned in the Holy Quran. Um, and of course, if, like, if we talk about Adam, we say that he's not the first man, but the first prophet was born, let's say, 6,000 years ago. This is what our belief is in this regard as well. So, um, I'd, uh, in this regard, uh, I think it will be very beneficial for you that if you can give a few, few contacts up from, uh, uh, the, uh, from scientists from the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, you can sit with you as well and then can discuss certain things about as well, especially about the black stone in Makkah as well, in the Kaaba. Because, as I said, um, the fourth caliph has said that uh, every prophecy which is mentioned in the Holy Quran can be proven by science as well. And Islam is basically a religion who goes with science as well. Um, I think this would be very beneficial for you as well. That sounds almost the opposite to the Bible. <laughs> exactly. Yes, I know that. <laughs> I know that. Uh, this is what, um, uh, That's why I mentioned the Holy Quran and Islam, that um, we believe that this is... The actual thing that science and religion can go side by side. This is what our belief is from the Ahmadi Muslim community, and there are many, many things mentioned in the Holy Quran as well uh, about science as well. That's why this is our firm belief on that regard as well. Well, a lot of the, a lot of the the major breakthroughs in the early days of astronomy mm. were made were made by Islamic scientists. Yes, exactly, and uh, this is the thing that um. It is mentioned basically in the Holy Quran, and uh, one verse says about this that we should ponder about these things as well, and this is what they did. Uh, and uh, this is what we just mentioned. This is one of the great uh, proofs that religion and science are, can can basically sit on one table and can communicate. Yeah, no, no, I I, I absolutely agree with you. You know, I I have I have colleagues hmm. who um, are are religious. And they find ways to to do their science and and um, be religious at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, so that there were the Jesuits, who you know they're they're Catholic mm. um, monks, essentially Catholic priests. Um, they are scientists at the same time. So they they did the first spectroscopy on stars, actually measuring the composition of stars, um, because they were set up originally to measure the, to look at the stars and determine the dates of, of Easter. Mm. Um, but now they, they, they do science. Um, and there is always room for God within science. So we talked about the origins of life. Who is to say that that very first step, that production of the, the first living thing, if that is not hard-coded into the fundamental physical constants of the universe, there could be some mineral out there that acts as a template for the origins of life. And if that's the case, then it was how the universe was created 
that set that, that template for living things. And if that's true, there is life everywhere through the cosmos. No, exactly, because this is one thing mentioned in Holy Quran as well about creation as well and how human beings came to a life. Um, uh, Dr. Matthew, uh, one thing, um, we have a magazine called Review of Religion, which is in English, uh, and uh, if you don't mind, we can we can send you some examples as well, where um, especially the topic of science has been um, discussed. Uh, I think you will find it very interesting as well. Yeah, go ahead, send it to me. You know, I'm always I'm I'm always interested in exploring exploring new ideas in science and the relationship between science science and society. You know, because it's, in the end, it's people who do science. And, you know, I, uh, amongst my scientific colleagues, I have colleagues from every country following every religion or no religion. Um, and we're all just, we're all just people. Exactly. Um, and, and that strongly affects the way we think and do science. No, exactly. And um, just one thing in the end, um, um, we have also a show in the Voice of Islam Radio called Living History, where we have also discussed certain things about Islam according to uh, certain things about science accordance with the Islamic uh, teachings. I think you will find this also very interesting. Uh, it's called Living History on Voice of Islam Radio. Right. Um, uh, so, Dr. Matthew, uh, thank you again. Uh, so That's right. Very interesting listening to you. Uh, uh, sharing your thought. Uh, thank you for sharing your thought as well. And I hope really that one day we can have you again on the Voice of Islam Radio. I think I'm on again on the 9th of, of, of November. <laughs> oh, really? Is it? That's great. Yes, I'm. I'm talking about Mars with you. Okay, that's great. Then I um, see you then on the ninth of November. Then. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Very interesting, uh, the union. And uh, I think uh, this is one thing, uh, one point we need to make is that uh, science and religion. There is no difference when it comes to in, in according to of the Islamic teachings. And uh, he said it as well that. In the beginning, when discoveries were made, they were made by Muslim scholars who studied the Holy Quran and who studied science as well. Uh, and um, dear listeners, uh, Living History is one uh, um, show we have on the Voice of Some Radio where we discuss the certain things about this as well, uh, w- uh, which you can also w- uh, watch on uh, SoundCloud as well. Um, Asim, uh, in like, in what way has God provided us with the means of us for life to flourish in su- to such extent and that we, like, we are here right now? So, um, Sahil, uh, God has provided us, you know, with all the means necessary for life to flourish on earth. So, from all the provisions and sustenance necessary for the growth and development of living organisms, to the intelligence required to strive, you know, in different environments. For example, uh, God has provided the sun and rain as source of light and energy for plants to thrive in and grow to such extents that animals are able to consume them. So animals are able, you know, to benefit from plants with certain animals, animals like bees, you know, are also beneficial to plants in transporting pollen uh, so some animals can be consumed by humans and some can provide security or transport facilities whilst others 
are cared for by humans as pets. And plants are also cared by, for by humans as they can provide fruit that can be consumed by animals and humans. While trees are also provide, you know, provide shade and shelter from harsh conditions. So God has created the perfect system in which plants, animals, humans and even other organisms are able to coexist and support each other to continue the, you know, the cycle of life. You know, Asim, you talk about plants. For example, Allah has described human beings or the way human beings uh, have been created as plants as well as, well, as the same as plants were made from the earth as well. They came from the earth. So I said, uh, I said God as well, that human beings came from the earth as well. No, um, God has said in the Holy Quran that... Um, Nafsum Wahida, yes? This is mm-hmm. a female form made of one being. That the first being we believe was created was a female uh, person. And from that, Allah has then created man and woman. And uh, before that, he, as I said, and the way he has explained that is that he, he came from uh, the sand, from the dust as well. And this is something, you know, maybe science should look into it as well. To see that how is this possible? If God, if God has said it, there must be a thing, and this is something we should go into discovery as well. And that's why Allah has used the word nabatat, which means plant. That the same way that plants were made, the same way we were made as well. Uh, and again, because uh, as I said, the f- we believe the first person who ever created was a f- female person. So we say again, responsibility of a female comes as well. That how much responsibility they have and what big role they basically played in the society as well. I know I'm going off uh, topic, but I thought this must be, this should be important to mention as well. Um, in the end, dear listeners, uh, God has said in the Holy Quran, He has provided for you, then He will cause you to die, and then He will bring you to life. And there's any of your partners who can do any of these things, glorified be He and exalted above the that which they associate with Him. Chapter 30, verse 41. Means that God is the best, God is the mightiest, and the way he has already explained everything, described everything, is beneficial for us. And again, there are so many things mentioned in Khan, which I think if science looked into it, they will benefit from it as well. And uh, the, uh, because this proves that there is a higher being who has told us so many things before that. You know, uh, uh, um, Dr. Matthew Gang has, has mentioned that early discovery made by Muslims and these things were taught by the Holy Prophet Sallallahu to by uh, from God. So you see this is one proof we can find that God is alive. Dear listeners, we have reached the end of the show. Thank you for joining. Thank you for listening. Thank you for to our guests as well. And thank you to our producer Saleh Ahmed for making uh, the show successful uh, and of course to the researchers Kashwanud, Ahmed, Sabah, Jaz, Barira Harun, Sabah Saif, Sofia, Nusheen, Ahmed. The listeners, do me a favor. Uh, if you want to learn more about Islam, stay tuned with Voice of Islam Radio and take good care of yourself.